really at the core, an independent hotel is hopefully really part of the community, truly part of the community. And so if you don't understand the community that you're in, it's going to be hard to run successfully an independent hotel. Hello, and welcome to the Modern Hotel. You're presented by Stay Flexi, your all-in-one modern operating system for independent hotels. Each episode, we'll get to know an industry expert, and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, the modern hotelier. Welcome to the Modern Hotelier, presented by Stay Flexi. I'm your host, David Malilli. And my name is Steve Karen. Steve, who do we have today? Hey, David. Today we have on Andrew Benioff. Andrew is the founder and chairman of the Independent Lodging Congress and is also an advisory board member for the Hotel of Tomorrow. Andrew has 15 years of experience on the operations and management side, holding executive positions in hotels such as Pan Pacific Hotels, Nico Hotels, Ritz-Carlton, and Omei Ariokan in Japan. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Andrew, so we're going to go through three sections. I'm going to ask you some short questions that you can answer however you like. Uh, we're going to then go through some of your professional background, and then we'd like to just pick your brain on what's going on with the industry. Great. Sounds good. So here we go. What was your first job? First job ever was uh, yes. probably summer in one of the summers in high school. I worked at a Cumberland Farms, which was a what do you call it, convenience store restocking milk and uh, juice and selling pornography to um, middle-aged men. <laughs> it's a good segue. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in a hotel? I've seen a, lo- a lot of things in a hotel. I'm not sure if it's the weirdest, but I had to uh, clean up after a, a suicide in one of our suites in, uh, in San Francisco, which was very tough and sad. Um, but that's just one of the things. I mean, hotels are notorious for, you know, all sorts of interesting things happen under, under uh, that roof. Yeah, we could probably use the whole hour just talking, talking about, about strange that. things yeah. in hotels. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in hospitality? Gosh, that's a really great question. I think I, I might be a, uh, if I had enough money that I could live comfortably, I'd probably be a professional martial arts teacher. We're going to hitch up on that later. Okay. What's the most unique place you visited? It could be for work or vacation. Gosh, I, I, I've traveled a lot through Asia and so forth. And you didn't ask me what my favorite place to visit is, but I guess I, I'll go with that, which is that I really feel like Japan is my second home. I've been traveling there for 30 years, and I just feel super comfortable, and I'm always sort of um, exploring and and discovering new things while I'm there, both culinary and visually and artistically. It's a fantastic country. I need to go. Is there someone you admired when you were growing up? Yeah, um, I guess... Somebody that I, I equally part admired and feared was my uncle, who was enormously successful in business, but was always had very intense and still does even to this day, a very intense demeanor. So always wanting to talk to him, but was fearful to approach him, but really admired his level of success and what, what he uh, created for his life. You could trade places with someone for a day. Who would it be? Trade places with someone. It would probably be David Malilli, I guess. Um, no, uh, can't, um, can't answer. You can't use can't that. Guess oh, too many people have said it before. So, <laughs> boy, that's a really great question. I get. I, I guess somebody that I'd love to trade places with to sort of follow and see what they're doing on a daily basis would be Jose Andres, the chef. The places that he goes to are so interesting. The amount that he packs into a single day and his life and his work is just astounding to me. So I would love to see what that's made up of. Do you have a secret talent that nobody knows? 
One of my secret talents is that I'm fluent in Japanese that most people probably don't know about me. And I'm also, uh, I guess another talent is that I've been practicing the, the martial ways of Japan for about 40 years now. Awesome. Any regrets? So many regrets. I, you know, I wish I had, <laughs> I wish I had been more focused and studied harder when I was younger. I wish I had been more focused in my work and understood what it takes to get to where I am today. I think I wasted a lot of years in sort of exploring. I think that there's also some probably benefit from, from being a little unfocused and exploring a lot. So I'm not totally regretful, but being a little bit more focused when I was younger is probably my greatest regret. Same here. <laughs> what's, uh, what's, what's, what's something that's on your bucket list? My bucket list is really to create a, a design-forward, environmentally friendly, fantastically popular indie hotel, which I'm working on. We'll see. That's awesome. Last one. Would you rather be Superman, Spider-Man, or Batman? I guess I'd be Superman because both Batman and Spider-Man have so many psychological issues that I just don't want to deal with that. <laughs> that's good. All right. That's what, that's it for the quick one. So, Steve, get us started on the next section. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, so I want to learn a little bit more you know, about background, about your background. Where did you grow up? I grew up on the East Coast here in... Uh, the U.S. just outside of New York for the first 12 years of my life, then do uh, a small farm in central New Jersey up till college. After that, a year in Hawaii, about four and a half years in Japan, and then back here to the West Coast in uh, the U.S. Wow. Wow. So I know, obviously, that time in Japan, you know, shaped you as far as bringing up interests in martial arts and obviously just the culture of Japan. Was there anything else growing up that really helped shape who you are today? Yeah, and I and I didn't really actually even realize it, but my my father was an entrepreneur, started his own business, was was successful in doing that. My uncle, who I mentioned earlier, was in very successful in business, but at a larger company. So I I guess somewhere in my blood is that sort of entrepreneurial and business spirit. But I spent many years running away from it and trying to go the opposite way on purpose, and only after years of, of sort of struggling against it, did I realize that maybe it was something that I ought to pursue and ended up doing that. That's awesome. So kind of along that, what, what, is it, what is that that motivates you? When you get out of bed in the morning, your boots hit the ground, what is it that you know, really is your, your driving factor on you to be great and you know, pursue that entrepreneurial spirit? So one, one side of my business is the Independent Lodging Congress. The other is sort of developing and investing in indie hotels. And each of them gets me out of bed for different reasons in the morning. For, for, you know, I love spending the time and effort that it takes to go through the process of, of developing an, uh, a hotel and a project like that and the level of detail that you need to go into. I think a lot of people avoid it. And I actually probably avoided it earlier in my life. But I think that now it really is something that I enjoy spending all of that effort and time and attention to detail on, on that side. And then on the Indie Congress side, a little bit of the same, but also I really enjoy, the reason we we do Indie Congress, my partners and I are, it's not our day jobs and it, and it doesn't support us, but we really, really enjoy spending time with people in the industry who are innovative and just fascinating group of people that I would have never have gotten to know if we hadn't started this company and hadn't gone down this path. So spending time with it, I'm, I'm just sort of intellectually curious and spending time and having conversations with those people is, is really what gets me out of bed in the morning. Do you still practice martial arts? I do. 
Any funny stories from maybe when you first started? When I was in, when I lived in Hawaii, I was practicing and was, was still young and, and, and really liked the physicality of the practice and also sort of practicing really hard, which included getting a lot of bumps and bruises and so forth. And I remember going out with friends that I practiced with one night to a club and we were there and it was a loud club. This was in Honolulu, Hawaii. And we were there to dance and obviously looking for potential people to dance with or dates or whatever. And I, I guess, ended up tapping the wrong young lady, you know, tapping the wrong young lady on the shoulder to ask her for a dance because her boyfriend was there and took that as an affront. And then there came to be a little bit of a kerfuffle. And he got so angry that he decided to take a swing at me. And even though I'd been practicing martial arts for so long and considered myself somewhat of a tough guy, I totally froze and was just sort of Mm. standing there with wide eyes as his fist was coming right towards me. And luckily, my buddy who was there with me didn't freeze and was behind me. He actually reached over my shoulder from behind me and slapped the guy's fist out of the way, saving my my perfect visage, and then grabbed me and dragged me out of there. So nothing actually (laughs) happened. And unfortunately, I, I can't say that I was the, you know, that I used my skills to get out of it. Mostly I was just like standing right. there like a popsicle, totally frozen. Chris Rock probably wishes your friend was at the office. <laughs> yeah, he, he, really, he, he really did. He was there. It was perfect time. He just slapped it right out of the way. I was totally safe. No bloodshed. It was great. That's funny. So you and I both are involved with the Big Brother, Big Sisters program. So maybe just give us some insight on how you got started with that and what really, you know, made you decide to get involved. Yeah, so when I was in when I was at grad school, I remember I was calling around to look for internships between my first and second year, and I, I don't remember the name of the person, unfortunately, who I ended up one of the people that I ended up speaking with. But I got a, a gentleman on the phone. This was just pure networking, really before the internet was. I mean, it was just fledgling at the time, so you couldn't really look people up or anything. You just had to get a name and a number from somebody, call them and ask them to chat with them, which I did. And then they give you another name if they didn't have anything. And I was just sort of going down this list of people to call, trying to find companies that might have an internship opportunity. And and there's a gentleman on the phone who ended up giving me a number of different people to call that he knew and told me that I should use his name to do it. And he was super helpful, like way more helpful than everybody else. And And I said to him afterwards, I said, well, you know, you've been so helpful to me. We've never even met. We're talking on the phone for the first time and you're, you're expending all this energy and effort on somebody you don't even know. You know, how can I thank right. you? I mean, you know, I don't even know what to do to thank you. You've been so helpful. And he said, listen, Andrew, in the short time that you and I have been speaking, I get the feeling that you're going to be successful one day. And so all I ask is that, you know, you follow up with these people, you get a get an internship, get a job. And in the future, when you are successful, maybe you'll remember this conversation and you'll, you'll, you'll uh, put your hand down to the next person and help pull them up as well. So just don't forget that. When somebody reaches out to you for help, please help them. And I thought, okay. And I actually remembered that the whole time I was in grad school and after I, I got a couple of jobs. So I started to help other students from from my university and other students who reached out and I just made an effort to really try to mentor other people. And then one of my mentors said to me at one point as I was working being successful, Andrew, you know, being successful in business is only one thing you should be focused on, but it would be great if you chose something to give back through as well. And I said, well, 
okay, that sounds like a good idea. What should I do? And he said, well, what are you passionate about? And I said, well, I think I'm passionate about mentoring. And he said, well, great. Why don't we get you involved with a mentoring organization? And long story short, then after some networking and talking to different people, Big Brothers and Big Sisters was the one that I decided to get involved with. And it's been fantastic. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, you know, very similar for me. It was about, you know, you kind of look around, you look at your kids, you look, you got a nice house, you get to take your kids to different places. And and you think, well, man, they start thinking about, I bet these kids who don't have like an adult figure, like somebody in their, their life. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the little, what we call them that I'm working with, you know, his, his dad's in prison, been in prison most of his life and, you know, and, and things that nature. So this kid, you know, a lot of it is, just been trying to give the kids certain basic things like say thank you, <laughs> you know, little things. So that that's great. That's good. Good to hear. Been a great experience. How long have you been involved with uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters, Andrew? I gotta say that it's probably about ten years at this point. So I'm on the I'm on the governing board of Big Brothers and Big Sisters here in the Philadelphia region, where we have I think eight counties in Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey that we cover. I think we're the third largest affiliate in the country. Oh. And then un- also, we, we started something called Mentor Independence here, which is part of Mentor.org, which is a national mentoring organization. It's more focused on adult mentoring and other types of mentoring. And I'm, I'm the chairman of our Mentor Independence Board here as well. We do both, both mentoring with kids as well as with adults. That's awesome. So, you know, I know you, uh, you, had, you, know, you had the introduct- introductory jobs at hotels and introductory roles. Then you moved into investment banking. How did that transition happen? And how was that transition to move from hospitality into investment banking? So after a 15-year career in hotels, just after 9-11, I I had a little bit of an advance warning, but I understood that my job was going to be going away and that I needed to make a transition. I I had thought for years about going back to graduate school. And so I applied to graduate schools, particularly business schools, right after that. And I decided that this was the time that I really, I didn't really enjoy, enjoy that greatly, the operations side of the hospitality industry. And so I thought that that meant that I should probably move away from hospitality. And so I, I focused in graduate school on commercial real estate and finance, and then went into commercial real estate investment banking, mortgage banking, raising capital for other developers and investors who were doing different types of commercial real estate, including you know office, multifamily, retail hotels, student housing, industrial, every type of commercial real estate. And as I did that, though, I realized I I did that for quite a while and I I had some level of success. I realized that I really enjoyed and had some, because of my operations background in hotels, I had a a bit of a specialty and really understood the hotel transactions better than the other forms of commercial real estate. So I started eventually to focus on that. Long story short, as I sort of said previously, I tried to run away. I, I tried to move away from not only my family's background in business, but also in hotels and tried to do something else, but realized later that my hotel experience was significant, that I actually did have a passion for hospitality, but maybe just in a bit of a different way. And it led me back to hospitality eventually as well. Sounds like you tried to get out of hospitality as hard as you could and always found your way back, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It just, <laughs> drew, it just draws you right back. It's, it's so true. That's awesome. So you and your co-founders for ILC, how did you guys get together and really come up with the idea to, to, to launch ILC? So it's really, uh, I'm the only founder actually of ILC. My partners joined me a couple of years later. And 
for my networking and and doing other things, I ran a number of small event type things here in Philadelphia to help my mortgage banking business and right. and to help me in meeting other people. And one of those people eventually, one of the people who came to my events as a friend said, you know, you should do something in hotels, an event in hotels. And I thought, well, that's interesting, but I'm mostly focused here in Philadelphia and there's not that much happening. It's not a super robust hotel market, like for example, Los Angeles or New York or places like that. And so I asked some friends about it that were in the hotel industry and they said, listen, Andrew, you know, we'd love to support you in whatever you do, but we don't really need another hotel conference in the U.S. You know, it's just, there are just so many m- big ones and you don't need to create another one just because you want to create another one. And I thought, right. you know, that's actually probably some good advice. And so I said, they said to me, you know, listen, if you come up with some reason to create one that's different than everything else, you should do it. But other than that, don't do it. And I thought, thought about it for a while and I, and I then agreed with them and said, I'm not going to do that. And one night, literally, I was asleep in the middle of the night and I sat up in bed and I said, I got it. Now I, I know what we got to do. I'm going to do it around independent hotels because there's nothing really being done in that space. And that's sort of a space that I really enjoy and like. And so that's how I had the original idea. A year or so after I started Independent Lodging Congress here in Philadelphia, my friend Eric Warner, who had come and been a speaker, said, we want to be involved. And so he and his partner, Stephen Chan, eventually became involved with uh, ILC. So Andrew, I was able to go to my first ILC event earlier this year in February, where I got to meet you. How would you describe an ILC event to somebody who's who's never been before? So we're obviously we're focused on in, independent. It's called the Independent Lodging Congress. And so it was initially focused solely on independent hotels. We've now expanded into independent sort of high-end restaurants and cocktails and design and fashion technology. You know, there's there's a whole lot of pieces that we touch. So we're not solely independent hotels, but it has to touch the independent hotel world for us to consider sort of talking about it or exploring it. So obviously the easy one is like food and beverage. That is immediately, it's in most hotels and connects to it. So we talk about that kind of thing. So I describe Independent Lodging Congress to people as a mix of you take the NYU conference or the Alice conference, and we're sort of one third that. You take the design conferences like hospitality design that talk about design, we're like one third that. And then you take a South by Southwest conference, which is sort of an ideas conference, and we're one third that. You mush all those together and you have ILC. Talk about day one, because I think day one is probably one of the most unique features of ILC. And, and, and having been to the events, I think it's, it's, you know, there's always a lot of day two buzz about day one, which I, I find is very interesting. It is interesting because when we started day one, and we call it our experiential immersion, a lot of people were hesitant to come on it and do it. And even now, a lot of people are hesitant. They yeah. say, why would I go do that? And then the people who come to day one find it fascinating and really eye-opening. So we, what we like to do is go and explore the city or the area that we're in and visit different businesses that are connected to independent hospitality or food or art or culture in that area and understand what it means to be in that city or that location and and what those people are doing. Because really at the core, an independent hotel is hopefully part of, really part of the community, truly part of the community. And so if you don't understand the community that you're in, 
it's going to be hard to run successfully an independent hotel. So we go out into that community. We talk to hoteliers. We talk to food people, artists, designers, fashion people, whoever in that in that community, and we we spend time with them to get an idea. We really think it's important to get out of the conference. Most conferences you go to, you go to this conference, you're in this hotel, you're in this wherever they're holding the conference for a day or two days, and maybe you go play golf or something like that. Okay, that's fine. Or maybe you go to a party that's close by, but you're not really exploring that community and understanding it. And we think that that's really, really important for indie hoteliers. And it's really smart because it's just, it's it kind of piggybacks off the why you don't stay with a brand, you stay with an independent, and why your event is so different than kind of what a normal event that they're all the same for the most part. In a lot of cases, yeah. most of the trade shows yeah. have the same exact feel like a branded hotel, yeah. <laughs> unlike yours, which has a very unique, unique. Uh, yeah, that, that's the, that is the goal. That is the goal. And we only yeah. started, by the way, David, that experiential immersion, I think in 2019. So it was, right. it was, it's pretty recent that we've done it and it's been wildly successful for the people who come and the people who don't go are like, why would I go do that? And then we, we hook them in to go one time and then they're hooked. They're like, oh my God, why didn't yeah. we think of this before? We should definitely be going on this. And so the day one passes invariably sell out because it's limited. We can't go with too many people because it gets to be unwieldy. Right. And then they sell out pretty early and then people are calling us. Well, why can't I get into day one? I don't know. We've had them for sale for like five months. You should have bought it before, yeah. you know, so it's interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, David kind of touched on this, you know, when you walk into an ILC show, it's different from other hospitality shows. You can see it right away. You can feel it right away just from the energy from everybody around you. Is that from day one or how do you bring that energy or bring that atmosphere that's different from other shows in hospitality? It's interesting because we haven't really articulated that until recently, Steve, and it's a great question. And we just started to articulate it recently and we've written it down. So just like the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company has a credo card that you carry around with you that talks about the basics of service and what Ritz-Carlton stands for and so forth, we've created a list of a small, a short list uh, of four or five sort of credo type items or themes that we want people to think about when they're at an ILC event, which include things like, don't come to sell stuff. We're not there to sell stuff. Now, you can be a vendor and want to sell things to people. That's okay. But don't be there and actively be selling. Just be yourself and talk about stuff. People will naturally ask, ask you, what do you do? What does your company do? And that kind of thing. What we don't want to be, what we don't want to turn into is a trade show where people are setting up booths to try to sell things. We want people to be authentic and not be sold to. So we ask our speakers, hey, hang out as long as you can during the day. Don't just come to speak. We want you to be there in the audience and participating and sort of absorbing. And in order to do that, we have to ask a lot of our vendors and the sponsors and so forth don't sell to everybody because then you're going to chase those people off. So we try to create an atmosphere where everybody can participate. Everybody is welcome and included, an inclusive atmosphere, not an exclusive atmosphere. And I think that that's important. And and I'm glad that it comes across to you when you when you attend the event. Absolutely. How are, How is the trade show, I guess, culture doing right now? You know, after, well, I guess COVID's not completely gone yet, but you know, on the, on the, downslope. Have you seen things picking up? 
getting back more back to normal. What do you see? I think so. Yeah, I think that, I mean, listen, our, our attendance levels are not as high as they were pre-COVID yet, but I'm encouraged by the number of people that have come out and spent time with us. And I think that overall, I'm a big believer that people actually want to connect with one another directly and that there is some room for hybrid type events where you can, you know, some people may want to log on from Europe or South America that they can't make a trip. So they want to see what's happening at a specific event. But for the most part, if you can make the trip, I think people would prefer to be together and spend time together. I think that's where the value is. And so I'm I'm generally an optimist and I'm optimistic that events and shows are on the upswing and there will always be a place for them. Because I don't think there's a substitute for human to human contact. When is the next ILC event and where is it? So we have our Indie Cultivate event coming up June 20th and 21st in Brooklyn, New York at the White Hotel. Indie Cultivate is a slightly different event than some of the other ones that we run because it is focused solely on startups and innovation in hospitality and travel. So it's a real focus on new concepts, new companies, and what's what's the next big thing? That's what we're trying to discover in Indie Cultivate. Right. Now switching gears to kind of the last section of, of the show here, kind of talking about the current trends and the state of hospitality. So, you know, one question that, that I like to find out from, from our guests is, you know, if I was just starting out in hospitality right now, what's, what's the advice that you would give me? I think it's really important to have, depending on what, you, you know, where you want to be, it, you know, if you want to be on the investment side of hospitality, I think that it's important that you try to get some experience in operations as well. If you want to be on the operations side of hospitality, I think it's important to have broad experience, not just uh, simply try to get a management role out of the gate. You know, cleaning toilets, checking people in, clearing tables, working the banquet line is all super valuable in the end. I know it doesn't necessarily seem like that's the case, but it really does add to your understanding of hospitality. Conversely, on the investment side, I've seen a lot of and spoken to a lot of very, very sharp young people who have gone to great universities and have amazing analytical skills but they're sometimes somewhat limited by only looking at spreadsheets and understanding things from an investment point of view. If you had a couple of years in operations, it goes a really long way to better understand how hotels operate and not making decisions without without that background information. I think it's just super important. Your hand's dirty, right? Yep. So outside of COVID and labor shortage, what what's the biggest challenge you think that we're not talking about in the industry? Because you know the LinkedIn is kind of you know a lot of times it gets kind of repetitive with it's always about labor, it's always about you know the robots, and it's always about you know what's where are we at you know as COVID as Steve said is dwindling, you know the numbers are coming back. So what aren't we talking about that you think we should be talking about? That's a challenge. So I I had a conversation with a friend today, and I just read an article on Skift that. We're both sort of somewhat connected. The article on Skift is titled, and it just came out today, is titled, Luxury Hospitality is Losing Its Mystique. And my conversation with my friend today was about how the brands, and when I talk about the brands, primary, we were talking today solely about Marriott and Hilton, but I think it goes for IHG and Hyatt and all the other brands as well. 
but Marriott and Hilton have the, I think, the biggest challenges because they have so many brands. It's the, I think, the proliferation of brands and the lack of clear understanding what a a single brand is and and really owning it. And I think it goes to this luxury hospitality is losing its mystique because I think a lot of luxury brands also have lost their way and not kept up with modern travelers. And I think that's why when I say indie hospitality or indie hotels, it doesn't mean only a 50-room boutique. It can be a larger lifestyle property. It could be a luxury property. It could be a three-star or two-star property. All of that is in indie hospitality. But I think the reason I'm so passionate about this space is because I find it fascinating that the you really have to understand who's your customer, what does your brand stand for, what does your hotel stand for, what are you, how are you connecting to the community is important. And I think the the bigger brands and some of these larger luxury companies have sort of lost their way a little bit in that they they don't they're not paying attention I don't think as as preferences change as a new generation of travelers is exploring and I think they're sort of resting on their laurels resting on the reward system of the big brands to bring them customers and they don't really have to think about stuff so a lot of these brands are melding into each other and there's not a clear distinction and I don't even know what they all of these brands mean, except that the Marriott and Hiltons and IHGs of the world are able to charge franchise fees on yet another hotel in the same market because they don't have, you know, oh, there's already a Marriott. Okay, well, we'll give you a Sheraton. Oh, there's already a right. Sheraton. We'll give you a Weston. Oh, there's already a Weston. We'll give you a La Meridian. So, I mean, whatever. And I can go on like that forever with any of these companies. And it's not just Marriott. I'm not solely picking on them. I think that the challenge is, and I think that Marriott's a great company in and of itself, and they have a lot of really interesting things going on, and they do contribute in some ways to innovation. And they do, you know, some of their their autograph or, or tribute properties are, are, you know, can sometimes be interesting, sometimes not. I think that just sometimes that people are, they, they, they lack the effort to dive in to really differentiate what they're doing. And I think that the larger brands contribute to that problem. So that's something I think is important. And, you know, as people say, you know, as people get into the industry, do you think, you know, that will help the brands or independents grow? Do you think people will choose to open more brand hotels since they have that security of, you know, marketing and that brand behind them? Or do you think the independent market is going to grow more because they do have the flexibility to add those new technologies that, you know, people are really excited about? I think it's both, to be honest. I think that there's definitely a place for branded hotels. Absolutely. There's also definitely a place for indie hotels. And it's not always the same. I mean, if you're opening a hotel, you know, on the side of a highway or in an area that may not have that inherent demand, then a brand may be better for you. If you're opening a hotel in a drive-to resort market, you're opening a hotel in a dense urban market that people are already coming to. Let's talk about Philadelphia. You're opening a new 150-room hotel in Philadelphia. Personally, for me, there's no reason to put a brand on it. People are already coming to Philadelphia. You can do as well or better with an indie here, but there are always going to be people that choose a brand over an indie because they feel it's safer, like you just said, Steve, and that, that also because the brands have been around for quite a while, they are 
often easier to finance. So from an investment development standpoint, there are many institutions that will not loan money on an unbranded hotel. So you have to right. you have to you have to dig harder, spend more time if you want to be an indie to find the financing and investment behind that kind of hotel. Is there is there a one technology we need to keep our eye eye on here in 2022? Oh gosh. That's a big um, question. I I just know you talk to so many people especially at all the ILC shows and you know talk to such a wide variety of folks. I thought you would be a be the perfect perfect person to answer this. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... uh, So I think technology should be used in hotels to facilitate a smooth experience for the guest, but I don't believe it's an an substitute for contact with human beings. So I think that true hospitality comes from a human being. Service is something that can be helped by technology. I've actually asked David a number of times, as, as I've talked about deals that I'm working on, why are there so many different like pieces of technology that you have to plug together? And is there some way of getting, you know, a, a PMS that has multiple pieces in it that, that can help an independent hotelier without confusing them with, you know, oh, we have to add this. Oh, we got to add that. Oh, we got to add this. So I think that that's an interesting sort of piece that I'm, I'm constantly thinking about as a developer and investor. What are all the different pieces of technology I'm going to need to make this a successful venture? And can I can I try to find some that are already integrated within each other that I don't have to get like 10, 10 new things? I can get one thing to cover five or six and then these other ones. So that's good. But also, also thinking about like, you know, what do guests want? How are they working together? You know, there are not that many guests anymore that want you to bring a bell card out and put 10 pieces of luggage on it. Well, they're, most of them are rolling their suitcase, right? There are lots of things in technology as well that guests are bringing with them how can you facilitate that they can they can have a smoother stay and not you know not have to work through cranky hotel technology that doesn't necessarily work for them try to get out of the way and let the guest experience it how they want to experience it well and it's funny too cuz i think hoteliers they overthink it or they think certain aspects of the personalization or hosp- hospitality is more important than it actually is so they'll say oh you know well, nobody wants to use to use mobile to check in, but yet everybody uses mobile at the airline. And like I say, what's the one of the most dreaded things you have to do is that's go to the counter at the airline. You want to just have your boarding pass, know you're ready to go. And hoteliers, you know, I've dealt with several companies. And I had one that said, oh, well, we don't want to use any type of messaging platform that has AI built in because we want to respond personally to the guest. And it's like, well, how are you going to personally say the Wi-Fi password is you know, but yet these are the same hotels. When you walk by the front desk, everybody's looking at the computer. Nobody's greeting you, asking you how your day is. So I think hoteliers sometimes don't know how to market the technology that's that they have, or they just overthink it where they think it's going to take away from the guest experience when it actually can enhance it. Because I'd much rather have a conversation with a front desk agent for something else and have that reaction versus having to call down to say, what's the Wi-Fi password? Cause you forgot to put, you know, write it on my key packet. So yeah, the, the simple things, just like exactly what you're saying, David, those simple things are, can be handled by whatever AI, you know, a chat, a chat bot right. of some sort to answer those. And then anything more complicated gets connected directly to a person. But I mean, starting with, you're right. Starting with these hoteliers who want more personal service, but as you walk up to the front desk, the first thing that I hear when I get close to a front desk is maybe they look up, maybe they don't even look up. And the first thing I hear is, 
checking in. Well, right. if I have a bag and I'm, it's yeah. two or three in the I afternoon and I'm, draw, and I'm pulling yeah. it up to the desk, there's a very good chance I'm checking in. So, but, yeah. but that's not, checking in is not a greeting. So if you want true hospitality, that's just service. You're just being a robot and saying checking in. So the, you know, if you want to see a great, I, or I organized a TEDx event back in, I forget when, 2017, 2018, here in, in uh, close to Philadelphia in Wilmington, Delaware. And one of the speakers was Alex Cabanas, the CEO of Benchmark Hospitality, who's a good friend. And Alex did a TEDx talk entitled, The Bar is So Low. So watch that TEDx talk of Alex doing it, and, and you'll, you'll see what I'm saying. Raising the bar in hospitality, it's a very low bar. So even raising it marginally yeah. is not that difficult, but it's all about training and it's about passion. And once again, I go back to the brands and the management companies that manage these brands. It's very, you know, they get a lot of demand from their rewards and through their systems. And so it's very easy for people to just say, yeah, we don't need to spend more time on training the staff. I mean, who cares? It's fine. We're getting plenty of business. Well, train your staff a little bit better and, and, uh, You'll see, I think what happens, you know, ADRs will rise, occupancy will rise. I mean, there's guest loyalty rises. That's the way to go. And that's, you have to do that when you're an indie. And, and I think it's super important. Well, and I, I, being a former front desk agent, I liked uh, my favorite question. What I ask the front desk when I check in, I say, oh, are you using Opera? And if they say no, like the last, I was at a hotel this week and they said, no, we're using SMS. I'm like, oh, Springer Miller. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, this guy kind of like, how does he know these things? And then you kind of see the personality of the person should be in hospitality or not, because either they'll start asking you like, Oh, how do you know that? Are you, and some people were just like, no, I'm using whatever info. And then they're like typing and you're yeah. like, okay, like and, you shouldn't be in hospitality. <laughs> right. And you're looking down while you're typing, you know, yeah. or you're doing something else. I love when I walk up to either a restaurant or a hotel yeah. and I come up and the person's clearly doing something else. I understand that, that they, they're responding to another guest. Yeah. They're arranging some something. They're responding to another employee, but they literally do not acknowledge me for the thirty seconds that they're working on, it, and I'm standing in front of them. That is not hospitality. Hospitality is uh, good afternoon, sir. I apologize. I'm just finishing up one task, and I'll be right with you. I'd love to be able to help. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. Thanks for letting me know. And then they look down. They finish. And, Sorry for the delay. How may I assist you? or whatever it is. I mean, just acknowledge the person. You don't, they don't want to be interrupted and they don't want to, I think people are fearful. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just not great. They're, they haven't been trained well. And, and so, you know, I feel bad for them that whoever their manager is, hasn't taken the time to train them and they don't understand that. And I tell people it's amazing because I, they, if you're talking with friends and people say, Oh, it's like the best customer experience you've ever had. And everyone always assumes it's going to be like, Oh, well, I went to the four seasons here. I did this or that. I'm like, Dunkin' Donuts on 33rd Street in Manhattan, right by Penn Station. And like, what are you talking about? I'm like, they knew who I was. I walked in. They started making my coffee. They asked me how I was. You know, they would say, oh, have you been traveling? We haven't seen you. And, and it's for, you know, like a $3 cup of, you know, iced coffee. And you're thinking like, wow, this is like, this is incredible. I'm in a Dunkin' Donuts. They know who I am. They're, you know, they're they're taking care of me. They're smiling. And you're like, okay. And then you go in, you'll be paying, you know. $500 a night and go in a hotel and the person will look miserable and same thing, checking in and head down. And you're like, 
Where's the Where's the nearest Dunkin' Donuts? But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Andrew, what do you think is the future for for the guest experience? You talked about you know walking up to a desk and actual checking in. Do you think that's still going to be the case? You know, down the line or in the next couple of years, or is it going to be you know check it? Everything's going to be done on your phone. Guests should always have the opportunity to use their phone, use remote, uh, you know, mobile devices for those kind of simple things, just like we, David and I just talked about. Ch- the check-in process, yes, it is a time to connect with guests, but you can check in early before you get there. Some guests want to come and spend time in the lobby. Other guests do not want to talk with other people. They just want to go to their room. That's okay. You don't, you, there's no need to force a guest to, you know, do what you want them to do. They should be comfortable in doing, but there should always be plenty of people to provide service to the guest, to interact with that guest if they would like that. And I think that check-in can become sort of mobile. I mean, you don't, I'm not sure there needs to be a, a whole desk there. Depends on the hotel and what the feel is and what their, what the brand is, right? But, but I've considered that some of the things that I'm doing, maybe having either a, more of a casual podium or a sit down desk or something that just feels a bit different than this place that you walk up to and people are standing behind it. So it separates, but having people with a, with a, with a tablet device there, if they want help, you can check them in. If they want help on, you know, the, the, the quote unquote front desk people don't necessarily need to be doing that. You could have somebody back of house working on the registrations and cleaning up, you know, reservations and all that kind of stuff. They don't even need to be front of house facing, but you could have somebody in front of house who all they're there is just to chat, help people. They can use a mobile device. They can suggest restaurants. They can get drinks for people. They can clean up the lobby. I mean, it can be a multi-use person instead of having, Oh, this person does this, this person does that. So I, I think that, I think the positions will change in the hotel. And um, I think that technology should add to it. And yes, checking in on a mobile device prior to even coming to the hotel. I mean, you should, you should get an email and or a text uh, a day of or 24 hours of prior, just like uh, you do at the airlines that say, time for you to check in, check in and choose your room. You know, let's do it now. It's fine. Yeah. My biggest pet peeve, people hate traveling, traveling with me because I'm a XGM. So I've just, I'm seeing everything. It's like Terminator. I'm low arms. My biggest thing is forget about the podium, get rid of any door that is near the front desk that is always left open so that the guests coming in can see all the printers and the fire alarm station. It's like, just design it. So nobody can even leave that open so you can see it. Cause to me, that's my, if you are a person who wants to check in, that's your whole, that's, that's, that's the first moment you, you, you know, you, you don't want to look over and see some guy sitting eating the sandwich. You know, it's, it drives me nuts. I, so. That also drives me bananas. The same thing you just said. Couldn't agree more. It's so unprofessional. I was just in a luxury hotel in Manhattan uh, a week or two ago, and the door behind the desk was open. And I'm like, why Why are you leaving that open for me to see that? And by the way, David, I think that probably we should just ditch our wives and you and I should just travel together because then we won't, <laughs> yeah. we, we won't bother each other. It'll actually be, it'll actually be fun to point out. Oh, did you see this? Oh my God. Yeah, I saw that. That'd be yeah. My wife drives her bananas. I, I can't, yeah, I can't stop. I have uh, people that'll text me and say, Hey, I was just thinking about you because I was checking in and the door was open at the front desk or I, my bathroom was, I can tell they, they could have had the shower another foot. They could have, they screwed this up. They didn't have an outlet here. They, 
There's no chair, this, that. And I'm like, well, yeah. Well, like, I, I'll tell you, I, I worked for one of the hardest gyms that uh, that I ever worked for when I was at Ritz-Carlton. And there was no uh, leniency on that kind of stuff. He had a very, very high sense of perfection and what he wanted to do and how the hotel should run. The door behind the front desk at the Ritz in San Francisco was never open. And if it was, the front office manager would hear about it immediately and would never do that again. So it, it's really a, a void of leadership that, that lends to that, because if the GM really wants to not have that, it won't be that way. You can tell how well a hotel is run, if you know how good the GM is. Because you're in that Absolutely. property. If everything is smooth and it looks crisp and clean, there's a reason. It's not just luck that that happened that way. It's that the GM is all over the place and making sure that those details are taken care of. And the majority of hotels, that just is not the case, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, it's and it can go to ownership too. I remember my last GM job. You know, we have four hundred room property in Times Square. I'm running around, and I went to the front desk without my jacket on, and the owner had cameras. His office was there, and next thing I know, the 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 owner put my jacket on me. <laughs> he was hundred percent right. It never happened again. But I wasn't thinking. But to me, like you say, whether it be the GM or even ownership, how they view, you know that. Like again, you you if you want to be in this business, you should be in. You shouldn't just be in to make money. You should be in because you want to take care of people. I've said it on other episodes where the word hospital is in hospitality. So what's what's the one the place where you definitely want to be taken care of is a hospital. And yeah. you when you go to a hotel, you know it's the only. I've said it many times. You know you throw away the key when you open up a hotel and people sleep there overnight, twenty four seven, and you don't want to be in the business. Yeah, you never lock those doors again, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really the end of our, our set questions. Is there anything that you want to discuss? If not, we'd like for you again to kind of take us through some of the next upcoming events at ILC so that people are aware of that. We'll, anything you want to talk about? Anything we missed? Uh, I, I, nothing really major that I want to talk about. I guess I would I would just uh, reiterate, we, we have Indie Cultivate coming up June 20th and 21st in Brooklyn, New York at the White Hotel. And uh, early to mid-October, we will be in uh, Los Angeles for our next Indie Congress. That'll be two and a half days there. I'm really looking forward to. And then early next year, probably in the January, February of 2023, we're looking at to be in Austin, Texas. So so we got a lot of good stuff coming up and uh, very excited about it. Yeah, great. Yeah, and St- Steve and I will definitely vouch if you're if you're listening or watching and you can especially if you're close if you're in new york and something's happening in brooklyn or you're in the philly or boston area you can get there you know either by driving or by train it's definitely definitely worthwhile and like we discussed earlier it's very unique and i think you know like most of your attendees once they go to one they they tend to be repeat because it's a it's a great event yeah i said it when i was there i i had that was the most fun i've ever had at any conference not just in hospitality but ever. And it was, if you haven't gone yet to our listeners, go, like David said, you won't miss another That's one. Great. They are just unbelievable to go to. And the energy is off the charts. So it's it's just a blast to go to. Well, thanks, Steve. And next time, next time we're going to get you to sponsor so you can come to our private dinner as well. And you'll have even more fun. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to complain that. about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. All right. Well, thank you so much again. The Modern Hotelier presented by Stay Flexi. We appreciate your time, Andrew, and thank you so much for stopping in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Andrew. You made it to the end of The Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. 
Make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media and presented by Stay Flexi. Stay Flexi is your modern operating system for independent hotels. If you're interested in learning more about Stay Flexi, you can go to stayflexi.com. Or if you'd rather talk to me instead, feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or email me at steve.karen at stayflexi.com. Thanks and have a great day.